You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for joining us here at Napa Broadcasting. It seems there's always a lot of change in Napa. Not just the kind you think about with more wineries, hotels, and changing demographics. We also have had a lot of change with our leaders, and certainly even maybe more with the upcoming elections. We have a new police chief, a new city manager, a new assistant city manager, new faces on the County Planning Commission, and a new superintendent of the Napa Valley Unified School District. All of those folks are coming into jobs with big shoes to fill as Napa continues to attract great people for important jobs. But it's also important to learn from those that are leaving, those that have seen and directed change and will always carry with them an institutional awareness that'll be important to the community wherever they go. In that context, I'm delighted today to be joined by Patrick Sweeney, the now-retired superintendent of the Napa Valley Unified School District. He served in that position from 2010 to 2018. He has always been very generous with his time and great communicating with the community, and it is my pleasure to welcome Patrick Sweeney back here to Napa Broadcasting. Patrick, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, it's great to have you here, and now uh, you have more time on your hands. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> you know, we were talking before we went on the air that you're retired, but you expect to be kind of busy as time goes on. It's not like you're stopping uh, everything. No, no. It's uh, it's important to stay active, at least for me, and uh, I enjoy being with people, and I enjoy the leadership role, so I'll probably do some part-time work in, in the, that area. What was it about this particular time that, that you knew you wanted to, to step away? You've been there, you were there for eight years, sort of two presidential terms, as they would say. <laughs> um, why now? Well, in uh, education, retirement is um, really maximized when you're 61, 61 and a half, and I was exactly 61 and a half, and in terms of... Uh, my readiness to retire, I was ready to new, do new things. I had kind of, when I came to Napa, I kind of, in my mind, had set eight years and, and this age of uh, 61 and a half, and uh, it just turned out to be a good time for me and a good time for my family, and I think it's good for Napa Valley Unified to have a, a great new leader with Dr. Rosada Massetti. Now, the last two years, you know, certainly there have been lots of challenges, and we'll talk about some of those uh, as, as we move along, but the last two years have been tumultuous. Let's put it that way. I mean, there was a bond issue that you, you shepherded through. There was a lot of drama surrounding, uh, you know, the mascot, the athletic programs. I mean, that that had to take its toll. There were uh, a lot of long, long days, though, in, those, in that time period. Um, you know, I, I've got to give credit to the school board for just being so professional and having the wisdom to really look at uh, what was best for the schools, what was best for the community. And even though they weren't uh, easy decisions to make, the board and uh, and those of us who were in favor of changing the mascot at Napa High and, um, you know, dealing with the athletic uh, cleaning up a little bit of some of the processes and procedures and those things that were they were needed to be done we knew that they would be difficult um i didn't anticipate that much difficulty um but it was the right thing to do so i, I feel good about it what surprised you the most about that much difficulty in terms of the athletic program in terms of of the challenges that you had to face the issues the the public attitude about it all what really uh, surprised you what were the biggest challenges involved in that well, I think there were a lot of um, habits that were in place that really don't 
correspond to this day and age in terms of how we do things. And um, some of those habits were personalized and and people took it personal when we said you need to change and do some things differently. So that that was uh, th- that was a little surprising that there were some, I thought, rational reasons to make some improvements and uh, the pushback uh, became personal. Mm-hmm. Did it take its toll on you? I think, <clears throat> I think in the in the short term it did, but <clears throat> over the course of going through that. Um, Believe it or not, I became more spiritual. So it's—I uh, don't want to get too religious in this conversation, but um, when those things happen, you kind of dig deep within yourself, and you know, you, you realize the work is bigger than one person. And um, actually, it helped me grow. So, kind of look for—I mean, I'm—I'm I'm grateful that it happened, and I'm grateful that um, I was able to, you know, work through that. Um, at the time, it was difficult, but I also felt like I grew as a human being, and um, well, that's what these jobs are so great at. They humble us, and um, I think if you know we we reflect, it can make us a better better person. And I think I became a better person through it. So um, even though those difficult times are, you know, not necessarily um, wanted or anticipated, uh, they're important for us to grow. One of the dangers of, of those kind of situations, or, or personally, is that they become the focal point of your tenure, of your you know eight years there, when in fact, long before that issue came up, there was an awful lot that you did, an awful lot that you accomplished, and it sort of gets pushed to the back burner. That's one of the first, I mean, that's always the case in politics when, when something difficult happens. Well, that, that can that can be true, but that's not the way I look at it. I do look at the whole eight years, <clears throat> and I do look at the support. There were a lot of people that were supportive, but they were just quiet. They didn't want to be in the fray, and they wanted to stay out of the fray. But through that time, there was a lot of support, and it, it was good to know that people that I respect felt that the board and its school administration were doing the right thing for the right reasons. And uh, even though it's politically unpopular and people may remember that more than other things. I, I know I know what we did and I know what I made mistakes at and I felt good about doing it. I could have maybe done a couple of tactical things differently to um, make it a little bit smoother for people, but uh, you kind of do what you got to do and um, you hope to do it in the right way. And, you know, it's like I said, it's a learning process. It was a uh, it was a great experience. This school board is amazing, and they have such leadership um, and courage. And even though they're elected, they don't let being elected get in the way of making the right decision. And what I've seen, you know, just in the course of my life, is whether it's national politics or state politics, um, international politics, people will um, sacrifice um, doing the right thing for what's politically expedient. And so. In that way, it was a pleasure and an honor to work with this school board. Do you think, and I want to move on to other things, but do you think that, that in a, the past year and a half, two years of all these issues, that the tenor of the times in general, kind of the the noise that we hear nationally, the way people vocalize their objections to things in, in a less uh, a less civic way, let's put it, <laughs> uh, it's a nice way of saying it, 
did that somehow filter down into the way this played out? I'm not sure. I, I can't speak to that because I don't know enough about it. I do know that social media plays a bigger role in expressing uh, discontent and trying to get people to agree with whatever you, what, you know, whether it's for positive things or negative things or things that I may not agree with. The social media really can make things happen um, that look bigger than they really mm -hmm. are and sound bigger than they really are. I think the social media, because when you look back, like in the Civil War and pre-Civil War, there was a lot of mean things said against one from one politician to another, right. but they didn't have you know social media to to get it out there so quickly and and um, so broadly. That part has been a challenge, and I think no matter what role you you have, whether it's with city or state or school districts, uh, that communication piece is is super important. And um, you know, fortunately, we were able to hire Elizabeth Emmett as a director of uh, communications that helped us with that. Um, but it's a very complicated, and uh, it can be volatile if, if, no matter what you do, it it, it can be just uh, another thing to deal with. And yes, does it distract? Absolutely, distracts from the work. And um, you know that's the part that I wish we probably couldn't have maybe worked on was not to be distracted because I think that's the one thing that in, in leadership roles they say that it's not about fighting your opponent. <clears throat> it's uh, when you can distract the leader is when things don't get accomplished. Mm -hmm. Talk about uh, when you first came here and, and what you saw at the time as, as some of the challenges, some of the goals, some of the things that you set out that, that you wanted to accomplish at that time and a little bit about how that played out. Well, there were two. There were two goals um, for students that we really had. One was to really increase the college and career readiness of our students. And the other one was, and there's we, we wrote it into three goals, but <clears throat> there were really two. One was increase college and career readiness. And the other was to really develop the 21st century skills, communication skills, critical thinking skills, collaboration skills, those things that we need in the workforce and we need in life uh, to be successful, <clears throat> those 21st century skills. I think those two um, goals, college and careers for all kids and uh, 21st century um, and life skills, those were the two that we focused on. Uh, the board was very clear. Even before I came, John Glazer, uh, Dr. John Glazer, the former superintendent, he and the, he and the board had set those goals, and uh, we just did whatever we could to improve them. And a couple, couple things. One is our graduation r rate is now over 90 percent, and I think it was 91 percent in 2017. Uh, that's 10 points higher than the state's graduation rate. What had it been when, when you got here in 2010? It was in, it was in uh, 80, around 80%. Mm -hmm. uh, and then secondly, uh, more kids qualify for UC Berkeley, UC Davis than ever before. In, 20, in 2006, it was 23%. In 2017, it was 49%. I'm, wow. I'm sure it grew again. I, have, I haven't looked at the data because it comes out over the summer. Um, we double the number of kids that can go to UC Berkeley, UC Davis. Now, they may not all go there, but having those skills and those credentials to attend the, you know, the most prestigious universities in, in the world is, is quite a feat. Again, that was started by our school board. It was their vision. Uh, we just implemented the vision. One of the things that was part of that, a subset of, of accomplishing all that, 
was bringing project-based learning, PBL, into a real broad base of classrooms in Napa. Talk a little about that. Well, that was the second goal, and, and it was amazing to see uh, go from one school, which is New Tech High, which has 20 years of fame, if you will, for, for doing this kind of work, where kids are working on projects on real-world applications to their learning, to move to 13 schools doing the same model as New Tech, New Tech High. 13 schools, and then we have another uh, three schools are doing International Baccalaureate, which is a similar but different, a little bit different, but a similar approach to having students work on real projects. We have a Artful Learning uh, Magnet School that's now Willow Elementary School. Uh, so I would say, and, and the other schools are making progress. It's just those 13 schools are doing it every single day. And, and the International Baccalaureate schools and the Artful Learning, they're all doing it in, in, uh, on a regular basis. The other school, the other thing I'm proud of is Pueblo Vista was just really tanking with their, their scores. And we opened it as a um, dual immersion school, dual language immersion, where mm -hmm. kids can learn Spanish and English. And now it's one of uh, the top uh, scores in terms of, uh, you know, test scores. And that's not everything, but it, you know, the public likes to see that. But kids are learning two languages and in two cultures. And um, and Harvest has really Harvest Middle School has really improved over the years. And they have international baccalaureate. Every kid gets Spanish, so they're they're just. All the kids that come from Pueblo Vista or Napa Valley Language Academy attend Harvest Middle School. I'm just so proud of the work they've done to turn that school around. So those are the few things that I'm really proud of. How hard was it with something like PBL, project-based learning, for example, to really bring that into those 13 schools, the resistance concern on the part of parents, resistance on the part of faculty? Talk a little bit about what that process is like. Well, because we all went to school and we remember how we learned, we sometimes think, well, that's how kids could learn now, which is, you know, the teacher was in front of the class and the teacher told great stories and lectured. And um, through research, they found that that's not the best way for kids to learn. It is one of the ways that kids can learn, but it's not necessarily the best way. When kids are active, when they're working on something that's important, um, whether it's uh, climate control or um, whether it's, um, you know, social justice issues, whatever those are that, that ignite excitement in kids, that's where we need to be. And um, it's not always easy for teachers to make that shift because it requires a lot of planning time. Um, if you've lectured and you've been in the same classroom for 20 years, you just kind of pull out your old notes. If you want kids to work on real-world uh, topics that make a difference, you're out trying to research and where can you learn that and are there, are there either local or uh, people outside the area that are experts that you want them to come in and do a lecture or, or do an interview over the, over the, um, the network or something, you know, computerized that, that you need to research. So there's a lot of planning involved and mixing the standards because let's face it, the standards, a lot of them are skill-based still. Um, and so you have to learn them. The kids have to learn them. How do you mix those standards with this real-world application. Um, it's not easy, uh, but we've seen success. And New Tech High is, of course, the shining star, but we've got other stars now. Mm -hmm. And how hard was it for faculty to adjust? You know, there's always a, a group of faculty that w just w love anything new. So you have a certain percent of what you call believers or innovators, and, and then you have a certain 
group that's called the early majority. They're, they're, they'll get on board when they see it working. And then you have a late majority. That's another group of people who you've got to, they've got to really see that it's working and they've got to recommit their time to doing this work. And then you have a few laggards, you know, you do, <laughs> you do have a few people that are just against it. And um, what I found is you really focus on the people that want to do it and the early majority and the late majority get them on board. And then the laggards, you just got to deal with one individually. One of the other things that, I mean, it grows out of PBL in some respects, but it's also something that's been emphasized more, is, is really this focus on character and character education. Talk a bit about that. Well, it's something that, you know, fortunately Napa's really focused on for a long time. We don't always out there saying it, but right. we, we do. We have a great uh, program for our students where we teach character from the elementary and middle and, and high school. Um, that's one of the C's. We talked about communication skills and critical thinking skills, collaboration skills, characters, another skill that we teach. And uh, it's so important that we all have agreements that there's universal values, there's universal ways that we should treat one another um, it, with respect, with listening, with, with trying to understand the other person's point of view um, that we teach. And it's uh, parents have been happy with us doing it that way and we're not trying to necessarily show a certain um, religion or uh, get into that uh, those slippery slopes but but in terms of universal values um, being respectful um, you know listening um, paraphrasing when other people talk those are real skills that will help not only in your work but also in your life mm -hmm. one of the other things that that you've had to deal with certainly over eight years is this constantly changing demographics of Napa. Yeah, but I think that's, I think that the changing demographics is what, <clears throat> what makes uh, Napa vibrant. And we had, a, we had a speaker at Rotary last year who said that you need immigration because people are not having enough babies. That keeps the economy strong. He talked about Japan that doesn't have immigration and they've had uh, five recessions in seven years. Um, Germany's heading in that direction. Um, of course, now they're getting immigrants, but um, but there's a lot of us came from families or, or, or uh, were grandchildren of immigrants, and I'm I'm a grandchild of uh, immigrants, and um, I think they've made this nation better. Um, does it pose challenges? Yes, of course it does. A lot of these uh, people are working poor. A lot of them are still learning English. Um, and that's part of the challenge. That's part of the excitement of coming to work every day to get them on the college and career track uh, because they want to be. Uh, we just need to give them the opportunities. I mean, it, it, it's this interesting dichotomy that's gone on. I mean, you know the numbers that while graduation rates have gone up and test scores have gone up and all these positive things that are happen, happening, that the number of students on free and reduced lunch is also going up. Yeah, it's the highest it's been. It's over half our kids are on free and reduced lunch. Um, they're the work. They're the working class, you know. And um, we need to honor them. And um, I think I think we 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 did as well as we could do. I think obviously there's more to be done in that area. But I think Dr. Rosanna Massetti is also very committed to that. I think the board made a wise choice in selecting her. She's uh, dynamic and she's committed to. Uh, social justice issues, and she's committed to this this topic of 
you know, helping the working class do, do better for themselves. Given all of the challenges and all the things that, that still need to be done, one of the other things that's happening as part of this shifting demographics and changes in Napa is really a reduction in enrollment. Well, the high cost of housing, it's, uh, it's not just in Napa, but it's across our Bay Area. It's in areas wherever there's um, these, this high, the, the cost of housing keeps going, and we don't have enough housing uh, at, at a rate that's affordable for working-class people. It's also the nature of, of the housing that we do have and that we have more and more second homes. Somebody had some statistics that were, I'm not sure how reliable they were, so I won't quote them. But that the number of second homes in St. Helena, for example, in Calistoga keeps increasing dramatically. Yes. You know, the same is true in Napa, and maybe not at the same rate right now. But those are people that their kids are growing up. I yes. mean, they, they've, uh, you know, had their kids already somewhere else. Yeah, it's, a, it's a, a dynamic that you see in Carmel, you see in Marin County. You're seeing even in uh, Silicon Valley, they're having, people are having a hard time. I was talking to a, a friend who's a superintendent down in the San Jose area. His district was losing 400 kids a year in the Silicon Valley, and uh, it's just we're, we're kind of driving the working class out, and we've got to figure a way to work with our city and county and even state to uh, to increase the number of uh, you know workforce housing or uh, housing that's more affordable to the to the middle class. Middle class kids can't afford it either. You know, it's right. just expensive. How is that going to impact? The school district, the fact that there are led that enrollment keeps going down, obviously less money comes right, in. Right, less, less budget. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it will be difficult. Um, there is some, there's some hope out there. It looks like there's a, a housing development called Watson Ranch that's making its way through the, right. the process in American Canyon. That'll help um, bring in more housing. Um, you know, I, The land people love the land preserve, but um, but there's some unintended consequences for having one, and and so w- without some more housing in Napa, uh, this trend of declining enrollment, declining budgets is going to continue, and it's not going to just affect education; it's going to affect the city as well and find employees that'll work. So, um, well, the, you know, si- I hope, the hope city we has. Something. I mean, you know, the other side of it is that the city and the county, to, to a certain extent, have other revenue sources. I mean, whether it's sales tax as a result of, of more visitors or whether it's TOT from more hotels, there are a balance of other revenue sources. The school district doesn't have that. Right, right. I think it's just good for the community to grow a little bit. I, I'm uh, definitely pro-growth, um, smart growth, but I'm pro-growth, and uh, I just think we need to be careful not to become a Carmel. Mm-hmm. In, in what sense? Well, if you actually go to Carmel and stay there a little while, you see old people, and there's nothing wrong with old people, but I think, <laughs> I think you have to have a mix. <laughs> I mean, you do. Well, you do. I have a brother-in-law who's a doctor in that area, and his, all his patients are you know, over 65. Right. And, uh, and, it, and the demographics here are that the population is continuing to age. There's yeah, no question I just about think it. it's to keep a community vibrant and balanced, it's good to have a mix of everybody. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about uh, some of the areas that you want to stay involved in, not in terms of, of NAPA necessarily, but, but some of the specific programs and, and ideas and things that you were involved in here, that, that the areas you want to stay involved in. Well, I, 
being in uh, some leadership roles throughout my career has helped me grow as a human being. I mentioned it earlier. I, I think that there's, you know, leadership is kind of like love. We all have it and we all can give more of it. Um, and there's some techniques or there's some experiences that I'd like to share. So I'd like to volunteer helping uh, build leadership in this community. Um, I've also been asked to do some work statewide volunteering, um, especially specifically for women's leadership. And um, and then I've got some paid things I'll be doing um, working throughout the state. And I might actually work in Guatemala beginning in January, right. one week a month, going down and, and training principals down there and developing educational standards. They don't have educational standards in, in, in Guatemala. At least they're not standardized where you know, from grade to grade, you, you know, you go up and you learn a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, through the, through the grades. They don't have that. Um, in our government, the U S government would like to, um, develop Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, develop their economy stronger. So they don't have as many immigrants into the U S. Um, so it'd be USAID money. And we'll see if that, if that works out, I'd, I'd really like it to work out. What are the things today that are sort of on the cutting edge of, of education? There's something that would be maybe what PBL was 10 years ago or 15 years ago. What, 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 is, what are the things that people should be looking at today? I think the service learning, which is like project-based learning, but you do it with a service. You, you serve others. Um, I think the service learning is an area that, had I been here longer, I probably would have worked in expanding the uh, new tech high does service mm-hmm. learning they they have to volunteer uh hours a lot of our high schools do it but not to the level where new tech high requires it um that kind of work i think helps students um do work that's bigger than themselves and it's um it can be very gratifying for the person but it also lets the community see our kids because a lot of us, if we're not in schools or we don't have young people around us, we sort of see what's on television and we make assumptions about kids in our own community. But when you see them live and you see how bright they are and how, you know, driven to make the world a better place they are, it's very inspiring. And I think it'd be good for our community to see our kids in action. Mm-hmm. And it goes to one that you were talking about the six C's before. I mean, citizenship, particularly global citizenship, exactly. has, has always been a part of that. Yes, yes. And I think that's where international baccalaureate, I think the dual language schools, I think project-based learning to some extent are all around the, the global citizen. And we we don't realize how um, how big an impact we can make just locally by thinking that way. We get uh, sort of caught up in our own little world here. Yeah, we want to we want to do our own thing or take our vacations or whatever whatever that might be. Um, and when we spend a little t- bit of time helping others or serving others, um, it's going to be very very rewarding. What do you most want to be remembered for for the eight years that that you were in that job? I, I think the fact that we were able to work together. You know, our, we had good partnerships with the Teachers Association, with the Classified Association, obviously our school board, um, our administrators working together. I think that's a piece of it. I think helping those students who may not have seen college in their in their career choices and their uh, future choices, getting them the tools and the vision 
and developing their own vision, but in helping inspire them to to reach beyond. I think that uh, will be important. Um, and I think also just uh, being someone who cares about the working class. I think uh, you know I, I was born into a middle class family. I had a lot of privileges. Um, I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, I, I did have a lot of privileges. And, um, you know, how do I say this nicely? The system's set up to support us mm -hmm. that are, we're given privilege. It, it's just set up that way. And having um, people that will help the underprivileged or the people that have uh, are new to these some of these opportunities, um, that's rewarding. And I think people saw that. It's an interesting irony that as test scores go up, as there's more thought towards college readiness as, as being an important part of all of this, that at the same time that we're seeing an increase in, in free and reduced lunch, that the cost of college continues to escalate pretty dramatically. Yeah, I think the banks, well, <laughs> you're going to get me into a little political here, but let me just say this. Um, a business can for, have a foreclosure and go bankrupt and... Um, and kind of make it through through government help, but a, but a family trying to put their child through college, who you know goes under or or has economic issues, there's no protection for the family, and the banks have taken advantage of that, and I think the universities have taken advantage of it to some extent. Um, you know, let me just say this: I went through community college, and that saved me two years of uh, college tuitions, and I think. That opportunity exists here in Napa. It's a great community college here, Napa Valley College. And if that uh, economic situation is one that's keeping people back, then they should definitely consider uh, community college as a as a route. Now, the other thing is, I got to say, those vocational schools, uh, cosmetology or iron or um, metalworking, whatever those might be, air conditioning, vocational schools, those are great schools, and people can come out and make a great living and do what they love because I think it's more important than going to college is doing what you love. And maybe, you know, maybe it's um, being a massage therapist and or doing work in with your hands, um, building, building cars or auto mechanic kinds of things. If that's what makes you happy, and, and that's what people should pursue. Patrick Sweeney, I thank you so much for coming in and uh, sharing some thoughts with us. Thank you, Jeff. I and appreciate the opportunity. Whatever you do. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio for the way we live now.